source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle, Empire. Welcome, one and all, to Off Tackle Empire, your source for Big Ten football uh, hot takes and or cold takes and or takes of all temperatures. Uh, I'm here with Andrew Kuchewski. I'm Steve Brown, aka Thumpasaurus. We got Moon on the, at the Hound Dog position tonight. Moon hitting the hitting the cardboard here. Although this is uh, sort of a a laminate, but get that nice clicking sound and you'll know that she's got another segment from her so clickety clackety clickety clack we're here the week after the conference championship games to uh i guess talk about what happened at the very end of this season the tail end the ass end in more ways than one there were some conference championship games that were competitive. We even had one overtime game, but we also, especially amongst the conference games that in the championship games that involved playoff participants, we had some blowouts. Not that any of those should have been surprising necessarily, and we'll walk through them one at a time, but for that reason, we have a very specific win fight tribe rooster of the week. It is Three Floyds, Sauvage Flow, Crushable Lager. A very crushable lager that'll go down really nice and easy, just like uh, your overmatched divisional opponent. It's not normal, says the bottle, but this is normal because <laughs> as the, the West has never won the Big Ten championship game. Nope, and it's not a trend that's likely to change anytime soon. I mean, mostly just because of the presence of Ohio State, but we'll circle back to our own conference in a minute. We're going to start with the content we know you guys come here for, West Coast football. That's right, especially the Friday night variety. Um, Oregon and Utah, somewhat of an unexpected result here, I think, as the Ducks cruised were never, this this result was never in doubt. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it was 20 to nothing at halftime. Utah put up a fight after that. I mean, give them a little bit of credit for coming back to make it a game in the third quarter, but it felt like Oregon was the better team from start to finish. If you look at any recruiting rankings or NFL draft projections, that's not a surprise, but it's fair to say at this point in the season that you expect there to be a little more to the matchup than that. And frankly, this was one where I thought the coaching matchup between Whittingham and Cristobal really would have favored the Utes. But sometimes it really just is, like, there's too much of a talent differential to overcome. And without oversimplifying, I think that's kind of what happened here, which is that Utah did not have an answer for C.J. Verdell defensively, and they did not have an answer for Kayvon Thibodeau offensively. Well, really fundamentally, what happened was that Utah went up against a defensive line and an offensive line, the likes of which they hadn't seen. That's where they'd been winning all their games. It's why they've been so consistently dominant. Um... And why they've really been able to control the flow of every game that they've been in. And, yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau especially was a real problem. And it just just goes to show you that this is college football 2019. You can have a really well-coached team of, you know, solid recruits that, that you've been doing, that you've been putting through your system that you've refined over the decades. But ultimately your best move is probably to hire the top recruits' parents onto your staff. 
Yeah, if nothing else. Like, if you're not going to have a consistently elite recruiter in the head coach spot and then just find decent X's and O's guys to actually do all the work on the field, then you've got to find other ways to get the best players into your program. And, you know, part of the reason that Utah has gotten where they are, as we've discussed before, is they actually did grab a fistful of recruits from, I, again, I, I still haven't bothered to look this up, but I know Zach Moss. Yeah, all three of them were from guys. the same high school in yeah. Florida. This was right. covered. And so that's, I mean, that's the fusion core at, this, at the heart of their program that makes all these sort of mishmash pieces work that otherwise would be like a seven or eight win team max. But that's a far cry from, all right, let's look at 24-7. And uh, their top recruit is this Thibodeau kid. Well, what are his parents doing, and would they like to work for the University of Oregon? Funny you should mention. Um, that's not it's not the same thing as what Utah did. No. It's unfortunate Utah, you know, played the biggest game probably in their program's history, would easily. you say? Easily. Easily. Yeah. Um, and uh, just ultimately couldn't, uh, couldn't stand up to uh, hey man, Oregon. You know, I know that feeling, and... On the off chance you're a Utah fan listening to this podcast for some reason, let me put it to you this way. It, it's better to not, to, to know that you're this far away from the goal. Because if you make the playoff, like my team did a few years ago, then you're really going to see exactly how much you don't belong there. And brother, it is a long tumble down from being that close to the mountaintop summit. You're, you're Trust me, you're happier this way. I know you don't want to hear that. But better that you lose to some conference opponent then go and because Utah, if they had won this game, would they be the four seed over Oklahoma? I don't even know. So for one thing, you have to deal with getting left out as a one-loss power conference champion. Not that that wouldn't have been merited um, if you had won this game. But if you get in, now you get to go and play LSU, probably in Atlanta. So I mean, well, I don't think that's going to go. Like, you know, And you know, you can get Oregon back next year. I don't know if they're on your schedule, but probably... And if they're not, you could probably get him in the conference title game. So that's my point. Uh, Andrew, you still waiting on Bama? I don't want Bama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Utah probably wants Oregon again right now, and they're going to get him. Uh, and it's di- like, okay, so this is different. I mean, the difference between Oregon and Utah, despite this score being a bit lopsided, was not the difference that it would yeah, have been. Well, between, that's exactly between, what I'm saying. Though. Yeah, between Utah and a college playoff participant, although. If Oregon keeps recruiting the way they are, they'd have to kick it up a little bit higher than what they're doing right now. But if they, there's no reason that Oregon isn't going to be the dominant program in the Pac-12 for the next five years, given where they are, given where their top competitors are. I mean, Washington's head coach just resigned. Maybe his successor carries it on. But USC, as we'll discuss later, retained Clay Houghton, much to our astounding, astonishment. But yeah, that, all that being said... There's no reason to sulk if you're Utah because there's no reason to think that what Whittingham is doing here can't be sustained. So is it a little disappointing to have the culmination of years of effort result in such a massive belly flop? Yes, it is. Here's the bright side. Nobody saw it because it was on a Friday night. It was in a stadium an hour away from the city it's supposed to be played in. Who is even going to know? Yeah, it's in, uh, it's in San Francisco the way that Lansing is in Detroit. Yes, yes, the the quick lane bowl from Spartan Stadium in Detroit. <laughs> so anyway, then we get to the Big Ten game. Uh, Ohio State 34, Wisconsin 21. Started off Wisconsin 21, Ohio State 7, and then Ohio State just happened. 
Did you watch this game start to finish? Uh, no, I watched some of it. Uh, and <laughs> fairly early in the game, Leah just got up and left because she couldn't stand any more of Gus Johnson slobbering all over Ohio State, which it, it is a real... Like, Gus Johnson shouldn't get to call the championship unless he can stick to the action on the field because, boy, it does get really problematic. You see the company motivation when Fox is covering Big Ten games. It's honestly, I mean, we always yell about how much ESPN favors the SEC, and they do, and that's indisputable. Fox is just as bad with the Big Ten. And in this game, you, you might think to yourself, well, but how would that show up in a game between two Big Ten teams? Well, it shows up in the form of commentary reflecting whatever is better for the overall health of the conference. And in that, in this case, that is Ohio State being an unstoppable juggernaut that garners national respect, wins national titles, gets the best possible playoff seating, with the idea, I guess, being some form of college football Reaganomics for the rest of us, because we've seen how that works. Um, so that's, yeah, it, it's worth noting. It's something that I would really like to see improve, but... Oh, God. If Ohio State wins the national title, that means Illinois only makes bowl games in years that Ohio State wins the national title in the playoff era. We've been waiting five years for Ohio State to win another national title so that we can get to a bowl beforehand. I guess that must be your trickle-down economics that's supposed to trickle through the Illibuck and get to us somehow. I don't know. Uh, depose the ruling class is what I'm saying. <laughs> redistribute the redistribute the, the Under Armour 100 and uh, well, whatever. Mookie Cooper will definitely transfer to Illinois after he after they recruit over him before he ever sees the field, despite him being a top 100 player. Probably so. In terms of how this game played out on the field, I was watching this with family and the way it started they're all they're they're mildly surprised they're like oh wow was was wisconsin gonna do this i said no no they're not look like take your eyes off of the big flashy things which are all going wisconsin's way in the first half fourth down stops a couple of big plays that wisconsin was not going to be able to sustainably rely on and look at the fact that jk dobbins is still getting seven eight nine yards of carry um that really all that they have to do is adjust the protection a little bit better because Wisconsin's front seven did show them a lot of stuff that clearly confused Fields and the offensive line. They got a number of sacks in the first half. All they had to do was tighten some of that stuff up, trust their defense to hold down Wisconsin through the entire second half, which they did. I mean, they didn't even need a shutout in the second half, but they got it. And sure enough, over the course of the game, I mean, the only thing that maybe concerns you a little bit if you're Ohio State is... When the chips have been down, Ryan Day has consistently shown that he's going to lean on the running back. And that's not a bad strategy, given the way the roster is built right now, with Dobbins and a great offensive line in front of him. But you like to see a little bit more variability, I guess. Because it's much the same way that Urban Meyer would always reach for the security blanket of the quarterback run. It feels like Day does that with the inside handoff, just a well, inside and outside, but with handoffs to Dobbins just a little bit more than you might like. I mean, against the teams you're going to see in the playoff, for example, might you not want to make more use of the KJ Hills, Garrett Wilsons, Chris Olaves, and so forth? I don't know why we're even addressing the concerns of Ohio State fans because what we're saying in all this is, yeah, so you had your nice little preseason, right, going through the conference that we love so much that we keep claiming is the best. 
But did anything that you saw in your 13-game preseason reflect any of what you're likely to see in the two-game playoff? Mm, it's hard to know if any of that translates to college football. Because, you know, this is just the Big Ten, right? Right. Well, I mean, much in the it's same... It's not the college football champions league, which is what the playoff is. But much point. in the same way that, I mean, that's true for Clemson. That's true to an extent for LSU. They got two Extremely tests. Extremely true for Clemson. They got two tests, LSU did in my mind, that adequately reflect what they're going to see in the playoff. And that was Georgia and Bama. And other than that, not even the SEC posed a whole lot in the way of a challenge to them. I guess you could maybe throw Auburn in that bundle too but yeah it these conference championship games as a whole especially in the power conference i don't know that anybody in the sec has a defense as good as ohio state's i still think georgia does um because then actually that's a pretty good spot for a segue here we'll move to the sec championship game next despite the result here this was close-ish for a while it did also kind of feel like lsu was doing the thing where the larger sibling puts his hand on the forehead of the smaller and they just swing away, but they can't actually land any blows on the larger sibling. Um, because if there was any way that Georgia was going to either win this game or keep it tight, it was going to have to be in a high-scoring game, I thought, because I didn't think anyone was going to be able to hold LSU's offense down, and I did think LSU's defense was a little bit vulnerable. That turned out not to be the case here. But all you can say for Georgia is they did a pretty good job of holding down a good running attack. Like, How much of LSU have you watched directly? I've watched, I've watched a few games. When they really, I mean, when they want to put a game away and they just give the ball to Edwards Hilaire and have him run behind the left side of that line, those two guys are probably both first-rounders. Yeah. Charles and McGee, I think, is the other guy's last name. Uh, they're, they're incredible. Like, they would not be out of place on any of the great offensive lines you can think of in college in the last decade. So, what you're ta- so when you mention right, this game closer than the score made it look... It reminded me of a thing, I, I can address it here, but I also thought about it when we were talking about the Big Ten game. Do you think that we've gotten, that, that, that we lose perspective as viewers sometimes, or the casual viewer loses some perspective now by constantly having the score there at the bottom? Because if you watch old games, yeah, well, they don't have the score, and so all you see is play to play to play, yeah. who looks better? I don't want to say, so... I'm overstating this a little bit. I don't want to say that, oh, this was a close game, the score doesn't reflect. No, no, this was this was a blowout, and it, all you have to do is, I mean, track the box score. The, the uh, touchdown by Georgia wasn't until there were four minutes left in the game, um, and by then it's, let me think, LSU kicked a field goal after that, I think. Yeah, they but I did, think what so. you're saying is play to play. The game didn't necessarily indicate that Georgia was fundamentally incapable of ever playing with LSU. No, I mean, look, just look at the overall stats. It, yeah, you know, that's... LSU throws for three fifty or so, which is good, but not what they've been doing. Um, their rushing attack is downright pedestrian. I mean, one hundred thirty something yards, I think. Yeah, so I'm looking at now one hundred thirty two. Yards that they needed 36 carries to get to. So Whereas if you were to watch the first half of the Big Ten title game, not having the score, you know, like they used to in the old uh, yeah, yeah. the old graphics days, you, you know, then they'd show you the scores you went to commercial break and you'd think, wait, what? Wisconsin still has more points? <laughs> right, right. Because you'd just see Ohio State played, you know, having a much higher success rate. Um, anyway, uh, apparently the discussion in the college football playoff the last spot was, will it be Georgia or will it be Oklahoma? 
I did, that upsets me because why would there even be a, this should have been a really easy discussion now no 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 look, look, look. granted that none of us are actually in the room they have to say something to keep us interested don't they I mean if they just say well look we've got four one loss or fewer power conference champions this is not a discussion those four are going then we actually know what they're thinking then we don't have to pay attention to the hour-long reveal show. You mean three-and-a-half-hour-long reveal show? I tune out after an hour. So Yeah, well, apparently what they did was I, I, I was what, well, no, I wasn't watching the NFL. I was going to Frankenmuth to buy a lot of cheese. Um, As is proper. Yeah, so um, cheese and sausages. Uh, so anyway, that's what I was doing. Apparently they, they didn't get around to the rest of the bowls until the last half hour of the four-hour show. I tuned out because it was all, I mean, Michigan State was guaranteed to go to basically one of two bowls. It was, are they going to have a game nobody cares about in Detroit or a game nobody cares about in New York City? It turned out to be the latter. But there was no interest for me. I mean, I was vaguely interested in who the fourth team was because they made it sound like it was up for debate. It should not have been, though. There's, there's no case you can make for Georgia over Oklahoma unless you just think, the SEC should what always have two teams like, in no matter what. Well, especially like, when you consider you that this, uh, LSU, LSU was likely to play Georgia in the first round. So what you're saying is... We need to right. see this again. All right. <laughs> you know what? I don't think LSU erased all doubt. I need to see that. I think it would be a pretty even game if they... Let's run it back and this time we'll put it... And was Tim Beckman in that room? You know, you take out those 15 plays there... <laughs> And, and uh, we right beat in them it. in the second half. And George is right in it. Yeah. So that's, I mean, well, right. Because they're one of the, <laughs> I assume if they're putting Georgia in, do they then leave Ohio State in the top spot so they avoid the that? Like, now you're... Because that was the other discussion that came up was who should have been seated at the top. LSU should have been seated at the top. Because their conference championship performance should, I mean, against a better team, got a better result, should have been enough to vault them back over Ohio State. That was my thought on that. And if you... Yeah, so... It just feels like it's all about machinations. It's all about tricking people into paying attention so they can sell more ads. For this reason, we've talked about there, was, there should never have been an actual dispute. I think it's a, there's a very real chance that it's easy to go they go in that room, good, they look around, or, or somebody really says, good, so we know who the four are, right? And they all nod. And then it's like, you got to risk something. And you did that. It's like the jury deliberations at the end of some kind of reality TV show or something where they have to stretch this process out and fill an entire hour, even though the actual thing is over. Right. And the fourth team is. And then there's some music while you look, you pan to the faces of the coaches and the players, and then all this committee selection. And then there's a commercial break. And then when they come back from commercial, break they repeat and the number four team is and then they do all the panning again with the music and then they announce that it's Oklahoma Sooners so that was a that was a whole discussion that we could have done without because Georgia did not deserve to go to the playoff this year close, first team out but hey decisively out not a question did not, did not belong in the field this year lost to South Carolina yeah that's a stink that you shouldn't be able to just now wipe off of you shot. by being in the That's SEC. That's a different mentality, but it comes right. from you. So, yes, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to go get it. Speaking of Oklahoma, continue being aggressive. We're they be played aggressive. probably one of the better be conference the championship players. games, at least in terms of competitiveness. Just Very watchable. <laughs> Jalen Hurts giveth and Jalen Hurts taketh away. He gave Baylor their first 10 points by turning the ball over inside his own territory. And I mean, I, I 
didn't have access to a TV for most of the first half of this game, but I kept tracking the score and then the yards. And at one point, I, I think, I want to say it was uh, 10 to 3 or 10 to 10, but the yardage was like 170 to 20. Yeah, it, it was kind of comical exactly how dramatically productive Oklahoma was, but because of a couple, like you said, turnovers, had to sell for one field goal deep in Baylor territory. Because of that, they left enough of an opening for Baylor to get back in it. Somehow, the loss of Baylor's starting quarterback seemed to only make them stronger, but not until after they benched their second string guy. Well, right. So, if you first of all, I mean, if you look at their overall passing box score, and then you see if this game went to overtime, you would you would ask yourself, how on earth did this happen? Uh, because their three quarterbacks combined to go nine for twenty-seven for two hundred and thirty yards, and. 159 of those came from the third stringer you mentioned, Jacob Zeno, who completed two passes out of six, yeah. and he got 159 yards on those two. Because as much as I really do think Oklahoma's defense is better systemically, they're still prone to some pretty massive glitches. The secondary in particular. Oh, football history. 37-3 combined mm-hmm. as a starting um, quarterback. And that, that's exactly what happened. They completely lost. I cannot remember the name of the receiver. Some fast guy. Because uh, Zeno passed from damn near his goal line on, on one of those and went for a touchdown. There's the uh, kick Ebner out, was there's the a lead through, and Stevenson into the uh, end zone, and Oklahoma scores on their first overtime possession. There was Ebner, and I'm looking at the box score, Chris Platt had the other one, so... You know, and, and Jalen Hurts will occasionally make some mistakes. Um, well, that's what you get when a guy feels like he has to score a touchdown on every play, and that he is the But my God, is he a baller sometimes, because... Uh, fairly late in this game, they, they didn't even. I saw this on the replay. It looked so natural that they didn't even comment on it. He got a low snap that he then picked up from behind him on the ground with one hand in one fluid motion, like it was just a thing that one does all the time. And it, literally, the broadcaster didn't even mention it because it just looked like part of the play. And I, I, I want to say that he, he either converted a third or fourth down or threw a touchdown. I mean, he has unique ball handling skills, I will say that. And I am very excited to... It's it's unfortunate that the first-round matchup is between the two teams that have been the most fun to watch. Um, Oklahoma has created the most fun-to-watch playoff games of the last two years. And uh, LSU has just been a joy to watch even in their blowouts. Uh, So... It's definitely not the most even matchup, but it's probably going to be the most fun. No, and this is a game where if Oklahoma fails to score against LSU at any point, they're going to fall behind like immediately. Uh, they're going to have to. I mean, it's, there's going to have to be a couple of turnovers. They're going to have to. I mean, Oklahoma's maybe better served by slowing things down a little bit, running the ball a little more. I don't know, but they're, <laughs> it's going to be a tough matchup. And we'll we'll go into the bowl previews in a little bit more detail in a subsequent episode. Tune in next week. But just to kind of finish this thought about what Hurts is for Oklahoma, um, I mean, his usage rate makes, you know, what the James Hardens of the world look like. Uh, I've come up with the most deferential non-shooter you can think of in the NBA. Um, they had a total of 25 plays in this game that weren't either passes or rushes by Hertz, And they ran 
how many altogether? 74. So he ha- he ends up with the ball on two-thirds of their passes, either throwing it or running it. So, two-thirds of their plays. So, okay, so let's see if anybody will understand this. His usage rate makes the the Herm Edwards Chiefs look like the 2010-11 Nevada Wolfpack. There we go. We're going to let that one cook for us. Congratulate yourself if you got both sides of that one. Obviously, there was the... Larry, giving it, giving the ball to Larry Johnson forty times, times a game, <laughs> uh, con- contrasted with the uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, Vitawa, Luke Lippincott, Nevada Wolfpack under Chris Alt 2.0 that had three one thousand yard rushers. Because you know jokes are funnier when you have to spell out the punchline. So, <laughs> uh, all right, last, I guess we'll talk about this. I don't know what else there is to say. Clemson sixty two, Virginia seventeen. There's nothing to say about the substance of the game. I mean, there's there's no part of that where it's not like, oh, it was Virginia 14, Clemson 10 at one point, and then it just went totally ahead. No, this was Clemson wire to wire, better team by a mile. Why even, though? Like, shouldn't there be some kind of provision for the coaches to agree to a running clock in the second half? I mean, I, I guess maybe Bronco Mendenhall's too much of an agromaniac to do that. But This is why Notre Dame is never going to get their second foot into the ACC. Yeah, why because why? Because they do not want any part of this title game. Yeah, they they want to talk about playing a tough national schedule, but you don't see them scheduling Bama. You don't see them scheduling Ohio State. I don't believe you don't see them scheduling Clemson. So they want to play a tough national schedule in the same way that like UCF or Boise State want to. Yeah, yeah, where it's like give us somebody that'll make everybody look at us and pass on the head. Not anybody who's gonna leave us in a bloody heap in the corner though. And that's what this was. It, so. I mean, really, we mentioned, or you brought up last week, I was surprised to learn that now seven different teams have won the ACC Coastal in the last seven years. And at this point, it really makes you think, do any of them actually want to win it? And why would you want to win it if your prize is go and get your head taken off by Clemson and basically lose bowl position as a result? Yeah, well, I mean, Virginia ended up coming out of it okay. Sure, they won that. Only because the rest of the ACC is trash. Yes, and and after this game, there was the thought that they would end up getting Alabama in the Orange Bowl as a prize for getting just obliterated by Clemson in this game. And apparently they open next season playing Clemson again. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Can you imagine if three games in a row went Clemson-Bama-Clemson? <laughs> like okay, we can disband the football program now. <laughs> Fine, we quit. We won't play anymore. <laughs> like you've done it. We we surrender. I uh, <laughs> got you. Win whoever you are. Yeah, I just wonder if an ACC coastal is really a, an accomplishment that your program wants to celebrate, or is it like when you raise that flag in the stands, probably on homecoming, you know, around around whatever part of the stadium you put on, like. Is there like a moment of silence as you raise it, as everyone just thinks about what had to happen for that banner to go up there? <laughs> tremendous sacrifices. Speaking of tremendous sacrifices, we're going to the group of five where you often sacrifice your head coach to win a conference title, which Memphis did. 29-24 over Cincinnati. Uh, Mike Norvell leaving for Florida State. Yeah, and that's probably... Looking at all the group of five coaches who moved this year, he feels like the one that has the best chance for success. Completely agree. I mean, he said in the post-game interview exactly the things that you hope the head coach says, which is, well, this is, you know, they kept trying to ask him about the Florida State news. He's like, this is, I'm, I'm not even thinking, I'm, this is all about the team right now. 
you know, he didn't say I'm not going anywhere, yeah, he but said, he did say, he did say, this is not about me. This is about, you know, he just said like exactly what you hope that your coach says. Yeah. Which I don't know, which is a more tacit admission that you're leaving uh, either saying that and not answering a question or saying something like, I'm the coach at Memphis. I'm going to be the coach at Memphis to the drag my ass out of, you know, like whatever. <laughs> I mean, like Joe Moore had said when clearly he's not leaving because the right opportunity hasn't come up yet. Um, so, yeah, this was, as you mentioned here, this was the kind of game that you would think Cincinnati would prefer in that you're not going to, you're not going to out automatic weapon fire Memphis. Keep this game in the twenties. And that seems to play more into Cincinnati's wheelhouse, but um, I mean, if anything, this is a nice little, nice little nugget for Florida State fans to take a look at. In that he's capable of winning a game a other than a wild shootout. Yeah, not that I mean, not that he's gonna have to. I mean, look, being in the ACC, even I think Florida State's in the Atlantic with Clemson, right? Yeah. So for a while, they're gonna be playing for second place anyway. You've got a little. I would hope you've got a little bit of a grace period. I would hope Florida State fans understand that he's not gonna overtake Clemson overnight. So if you let him do the thing that he wants to do his way, nobody else in the ACC is posing much of a challenge right now. I mean, who else in the ACC are you concerned about if you're Florida State? Clemson. Right. Well, well I said who else. And so yeah. it helps sometimes to have that one superpower, that thing that you can, you know, like that boogeyman that has to be vanquished for you to accomplish anything. Meanwhile, if you're Luke Fickle, well, tough loss, but... For whatever reason, you got another shot next year. Yeah, so far. I mean, it's it's fair to note that the co- coaching carousel has not stopped spinning yet. Uh, Boston College hasn't hired their new guy. Let me see what else. So, well, I guess some Power 5 coaches, that's actually the only opening right now, I think. And he's not, I mean, he's not going to make a lateral move to a group of five teams, so... I don't know if Boston College is going to be able to attract a Luke Fickle. He'll have his chance next year. I mean, it's not there's never there's never going to be a shortage of teams desperate for a coach who can take them to the next level. So whether that's and who's to say by the way that he didn't get offers from the likes of Arkansas or um, or Rutgers? It, well, I, I can think. tell you that he did not get an offer from Rutgers. I spat the word out before I remembered what exactly. Rutgers involved in this situation. So, um, yeah, who's to say that you didn't get a look by some of these second-tier SEC jobs? So, Boise State uh, executed Hawaii 31-10 to because fun goes to Boise to die once again. Ten points for Nick Rolovich's Rainbow Warriors. Yeah, womp womp. Sad sight. Boise State continues to be Boise State. Although what it means for Boise State to be Boise State is not what it meant 10 years ago, 8 years ago even. Fair. In that they're... I don't think anyone really pictures them as a party crasher anymore. Perhaps this is just because of the way this playoff has been... Like the way we talk about the playoff, you're never mentioning... Like UCF was never a serious candidate to make the playoff when they were undefeated and just rolling everybody. I think it would be... I wonder if... Boise State's got sort of a different kind of name cred. Like, if they went undefeated again, would the committee actually have to kind of glance at them? I think it would only be the case if all the other dominoes fell correctly. Like now, the problem is they keep occasionally losing a conference game. 
Yeah, and that in a group in the group of five is not going to no be margin for error. Yeah, there's you can't do that and have anyone take you seriously. So, yeah. That being said, I mean, I guess if you're Boise State at this point, you're pretty much just seeing how tall you can make your house of cards built out of Mountain West championship trophies. Uh, the answer is going to be pretty tall, by the way, because there's nobody. I mean. Colorado State had their flash in the pan where they cycled through a few SEC assistants and then they picked the wrong guy and now they're back kind of, you know, at square one. And then you've got a bunch of guys that are kind of like, uh, let's see, if Boise State is the mountain peak, then they're basically kind of like the, uh, they're kind of like, what, what, what do you call those? Uh, um, uh, Hollers. Yeah. Well, they're, they're the ones where they're not... Terribly tall, but they're always within striking distance, but they don't ever quite get up that high. Oh, no. I thought you meant, like, the, ob- the opposite, like, the like the valleys between the, like, you know. No, that's that's generally called San, Di- San Jose State. Yeah. Although. Although. <laughs> yeah. Sweet pig. Yeah, but, uh, you know, so you got, like, Wyoming is a solid Mountain West Bird. San Diego State. Yeah. Solid. And not spectacular this year, but... Um, you know, Wyoming is solid, but but it's been a while since somebody really really made the push to compete with Boise State. Well, since TCU left for for greener pastures. To, to compete long term with yeah. Boise State. Because people have people have competed with Boise State for one season. They've put it all together one season. Yeah. But nobody has really risen up as a as a long term peer of theirs in that conference. No. And you know, Brian Harson's name has been mentioned in a couple coaching searches. He strikes me as the guy who's never who's not going anywhere. Um, although it's true that people thought that about Chris Peterson once too, but it, when he left, it's not like he went that far. You know, there's just yeah. the, I mean, this also makes me think of Gary Anderson, where there is something about the West Coast, the Northwest, that draws people to it. Understandably so, gorgeous place. Um, I can't wait for my next trip there. But Boise remains kings of the mountain. Is about all there is to say about this game. More or less, App State 45, Cajuns 38, a furious rally for the Cajuns, but ultimately comes up short. This appears to be a defining trait of this App State team. Yeah, and now I overwrote last week's outline, so I don't remember where we respectively rank this game on the funometer, but I feel like I had it a couple notches higher than you. No, I think I had, we had it at three and four. You had it at three, I had four. Yeah. So I knew this game was going to be a banger. Um, you kind of agreed, but slightly less so. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, as you say, I mean, this Appalachian State jumps out 21-7 in the first quarter. They added 14 more before halftime. And then they don't exactly coast, but they do have to hold on a little bit. Um, because Louisiana Lafayette was just, was just good enough to make this a game. And this kind of, I mean, this is what a conference championship game should be, where... Not necessarily because of how the conference divides them, but in a given year, you hope that your two best teams in the conference are in opposite divisions and that they play each other in the title game. That's what you hope for. And that's why the Big Ten championship game is never going to be that good because the three strongest programs in the conference are clustered in one division. And when we've had... I mean, in my mind, the two best big championship games, actually the three best big championship games, are the ones Michigan State has been to. Yep, because they didn't involve Ohio State. One of them did. Well, yeah, but um, I kind of lost the train my train of thought here. But yeah, this this was a fantastic game, and this is the kind of thing that I really don't think we're going to see as long as 
there will never be an Ohio State-Michigan championship game. There will never be an Ohio State-Penn State championship game. We get these de facto elimination games where when they're late enough in the season, like Ohio State-Penn State was basically a conference title elimination game. But it doesn't have, I mean, it's not the same thing as stuffing an NFL stadium full of people who are actually interested in being there. Um, of course, as, as opposed to the typical NFL state NFL crowd, you know, which is mostly interested in fighting people, mostly interested in drinking in public and fighting. Yes, so throwing batteries at people. Yeah, so Five the fly. thing is that we already had a system of divisions based around the idea of a Michigan Ohio State championship game. Yeah, we already made divisions based on that once before. What we're saying is bring back the leaders and legends. Well, yeah, but on one condition. Get good already, Michigan. Get good. <laughs> Just get good. Um, so if App State under Eli Drinkwitz was a NASCAR team, their preferred strategy would definitely be to win on fuel mileage. <laughs> because it's not necessarily that they're coasting. It's that they don't want to use any more fuel than they absolutely have to, and they're going to be... You know they're gonna stretch their fuel until the end and coast across as the other as the other teams are making a furious <laughs> rally on full tanks, having at the end. Having, pit, having pitted and given them enough of a lead that they can't blow it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so see, I don't even follow NASCAR, and even I could piece that one together. All right. Well, I don't know which one we want to handle at the end here. Um, Probably. The- you know what? We're yeah. Let's let's stick with. Um, you know, we referenced Lane Kiffin briefly earlier, and if like if if life as a lower tier group of five team is hoping that you find a great coach and knowing that he's going to leave, at le- you you at least hope that he throws you a kick ass party on the way out, like Lane Kiffin did in quietly winning three consecutive conference championships for Florida Atlantic. Oh yeah, Florida Atlantic, notable nothing ass program. Who's the only other thing I remember about them was. Howard Schnellenberger was some, somewhat involved, yeah. and then Carl Polini after, but Carl Polini and cocaine. Happening. Carl Polini until cocaine, yes. Um, I assume that Schnellenberger's involvement was like an exchange for a prime piece of beachfront estate in Boca Raton. <laughs> I just um, think like given that he is an, given that he is an old person, that's all that I can think of that FAU would have that would interest him because he didn't need, he couldn't have needed the money. I just, like, Carl Pellini, just, I always think of, like, a really little pissed-off buzzard, like... I can't even think in my head of what he looks like. I mean, I assume he's kind of similar to Bo, but... Yeah, so, but I think he's also, like, shorter. Oh, jeez. Like, so... (laughs) So he's a Pellini with a Napoleon complex. (laughs) Good God. No wonder. Yeah, so no, I just no. think of him as like as like a, a really really grumpy little bird. And so you and so you have the 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 exiling to Boca Raton, and you have the cocaine, and you get the so that all makes a lot of sense now. And look, these are all ways of us trying to distract you from the fact that there's not really anything interesting to say about forty nine to six. We gave some plaudits to UAB as a program, and I still think they're perfectly deserving of those. Hey, now that Lane Kiffin's out of the way. Feels like Conference USA is Bill Clark's to lose. Um, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head if there's another decent program in that conference. La Tech and uh, FIU-ish? No, 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 no. Uh, Southern Miss. Okay. The team that beat UAB 37-2 to a few weeks back. Yeah, but we still, like, we still can't come up with an explanation for that. So, you know, again, that being said, um, there, there's not a whole lot interesting to say about this game 
honestly. We tried. We tried. So, the... Conference USA always reminds me of Comp USA. You remember that store? Yes, I do. <laughs> it seems like something that, like, peaked in 2003, and then, like, oh, that's still around, isn't it? Yeah, I swore Conference USA went bankrupt in, like, 2008, but here they are still holding a title game, apparently. Look at that. You know, just like you see... Not Circuit City, because they're definitely bankrupt, but like Value City. Like, you see one of those, and it's like, how did that survive? Um, who knew? Anyway, we saved the best for last. By far the most superior conference championship game, which, again, I extend my sincere apologies. I couldn't be there for. Um, I scheduled poorly, but those things happen. And I'll show you pictures of Ginger Nug and Red Bean in a minute, and you'll see why it was worth it, but... Miami, 26. Central Michigan, 21. The only type of Miami that's ever going to be playing in conference title games is the Miami of Ohio Redhawks, and it sounds like it was a hoot. It was a back-and-forth game. And how Big Ten was it that they had a comeback aided by a 3-for-3 fourth-quarter field goal-kicking performance? None more bigly. Um, Brett Gabbert, I think, ended up being the... Was he the MVP of the game? Miami's quarterback, I don't know who ended up taking home the coveted, what, what is the Mac, how, like the, the coveted cinder block probably, the, the gold cinder block, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking at the box score here and he was 14 for 27 for 196 yards. I don't know who, uh, Jack Sorensen had a pretty good game for Miami, I guess that's who you give this to. They did a really good job, by the way, holding down Jonathan Ward. Uh, in particular, but also Tommy Lazaro, who got in some, um, yeah, I wouldn't have expected that Miami would have as easy of a time shutting down Central's offensive stars the way they did, but not a whole lot of impact, 26 yards for the Warriors on Will Pimpleton had six catches. Beautiful play call. So, Excellent if you hold on execution. to star players in this you game, draw it up any better. The pump you know, fake you're, you're in space on Kobe Burst. Well, I mean, a lot of people were saying that uh, Jonathan Ward was one of the best backs in the MAC. Uh, so, he may have been the best. Andy's guy was the bester. And this time, it's in Source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.